Hello again and welcome to the Black Country Living Museum podcast, the show where we dive into the history of the black country, discover stories from the past and have some fun along the way. Now, as humans, there are certain things that we need to do in order to stay alive. Eating is one of those things and the people of the black country were no different. Depending on where you live in the UK, you might have different foods. The stargazy pie from Cornwall, haggis from Scotland and even jellied eel from London. The problem with the black country though is that it's not really an officially labelled area. It's just a collection of areas that people began to refer to as the black country. But saying that, there are still some things that stand out when you would think of something that's black country food. The one that I would say is my personal favourite is grey peas and bacon. But it's not pronounced like that. It's pronounced grey peas and bacon. It takes a long time to make, but it is quite simple to do. And it's very filling. Honestly, you feel like you've eaten a rock. It's really that heavy. Now, grey peas aren't like the green peas that you buy in the freezer section of Asda or wherever you shop. They are in a separate place, and these peas have to be soaked overnight to soften them up. Then they have to be boiled and simmered for 45 minutes. The bacon is cooked until it is brown, so not just cooked, but really, really cooked, so it's brown. Um, And then you throw it all in the pot, and then you cook it on a low heat for another two hours. Because it's so simple, it was also quite cheap as well. Uh, So bacon wasn't that expensive and the peas were relatively easy to find. That's why it was a fairly common thing to eat. Other foods that were really popular among the working class in the black country uh, were things like boiled tripe. Now, tripe is not something that I would really like to eat. Um, It's the meat that comes from the stomach lining of farm animals, usually pigs and things like that. But people would boil it with some onions for around half an hour and then eat that, which sounds absolutely lovely. Uh, Then you've got faggots and peas. Faggots could be made of any meat off-cut, really, or they used to call it offal. This included things like heart, liver, Uh, And then the meat would be wrapped again in the stomach lining of another animal uh, and mixed with onions to make a meal. So really, really tasty things from there. The recipes that I mentioned, they use a lot of different parts of the animal. um, And they really did use as much of the animal as they could. Nothing really went to waste. The main reason was that they couldn't afford to waste all of this food. It cost a lot of money. Um, There is quite a famous saying with regard to the black country food food, is that when it comes to something like a pig, they would eat everything but the oink. Now, to help us uh, learn a little bit more about black country food is one of our researchers. So here with us today, we have got Simon Briarcliffe. Hello, Simon. Hello. Uh, Now, I've got a few questions for you. Uh, I know we've worked on black country food together before, so I know you are the person to ask. And I've mentioned a few things in what I've just said as being traditional black country recipes. Um, And there was a lot of meat and it came from lots of different parts of the animal. My question really is, was vegetarianism really a word that was used in the Victorian period? Well, it was, but uh, not perhaps not in the way you'd think. It was quite an upper class thing. So people would choose to be a vegetarian as an ethical choice, a moral choice, because they felt bad about the... Um, the the welfare of the animals. Fair enough. But if you were poor, it was quite a difficult thing to do because there wasn't so many alternative sources of protein that you would have nowadays or that you would be able to afford if you were wealthier or or upper class. Um, So most working class people wouldn't have considered 
even considered a vegetarian <laughs> diet because they wouldn't have been able to get the energy. Yeah. But for a start, if you're going to be down the mine or working in a foundry, you need a lot of energy. Of course, very dirty jobs, lots of hard graft. Yeah, you need um, lots of fluids in your drink, in your diet. So people used to have a lot to drink. Yeah. Um, you need a lot of uh, calories and uh, carbohydrates to get you through um, uh, any shift in any so sort of black country. Is that kind of one of the reasons that things like stew would have been a popular thing? Because there was, I suppose you've got the meat in there, you've also got the, the broth, you've got the liquid as well, haven't you? Yeah, exactly. And it contains, especially the cheaper parts, they contain quite a lot of things like fat, which yeah. is, um, you know, something we're used to of trying to avoid but actually yeah, but it's very good for the energy that you need to get yeah, through the day. a fantastic source of energy um so a lot of people would have uh, had to resort to a vegetarian diet but not out of choice so especially yeah. if you got paid on a saturday like most people did mm-hmm. by thursday or friday you might have be a bit low on the, the old pennies <laughs> so you would have had to resort to something like a baking an onion in butter oh, or uh, um just potatoes um uh, in cooked in buttermilk or something like that, and you'd use just a tiny little bit of meat, perhaps to give it a little bit of flavour. Yeah, but um, most people would much much prefer to have a bit of meat in their diet. Yeah, to make it more substantial for them. Ace. Okay, then. So, and again, this is going back to the animals thing. There seem to be a lot of uh, people that owned animals. Now, today, obviously, things like pigs and um, and horses and cows, we associate those with farms we don't really associate them with animals that you would keep in your back garden but did a lot of people have their own animals loads of people had their own animals especially in the in the black country in fact lots of uh, health inspectors and that kind of person used to complain about it because obviously an animal creates a lot of waste products it does did you did you know that a sheep can make two kilograms of poo every day that's amazing. <laughs> that is a lot. You and can, don't ask me how I know that. It's just one of those facts in my head. But you can see why um, health inspectors were worried when you have that sort of accumulation. Now, yeah. that has has the, some advantages. If you keep a pig, you can feed it any scraps that you can't eat yourself. Because a pig will eat almost anything. And you can use the manure from the pig to fertilise vegetables that you can grow yourself as well. Got you. People used to even run into the street with a shovel when the horses went past to uh, get the horse manure to go. I remember stories about that, yeah. (laughs) Um, You could buy a pig probably at an agricultural market. So Wolverhampton had one of the biggest agricultural Mm -hmm. markets in the world. You could go along and buy a pig at the auction. But I think most people would have just reared their own. They would have um, got one from a neighbour or um, or, uh, bought one for pennies from someone in the pub maybe. Um, a pig, a sow, a female pig, can produce two litters of six, seven, or eight uh, piglets a year. Wow! So you that's put you a get lot, a lot, of, a lot of, of pig. You, you get a lot of pigs <laughs> in a very short period of time. So they were probably quite easy yeah. to get hold of. Um, same with chickens; not very difficult to raise. You just need an egg and a cockerel, yeah. and uh, then you can have you can incubate it and um, raise up little chicks for yourself. And, I suppose uh, really, for for some of them, it would have been a way of um, getting income if they were selling. The, the, the babies you, you to, to other people. You can sell the eggs, you can sell the chickens, you can um, sell all bits of the pig. If you have to slaughter a pig at one particular time of year, then that's yeah. a lot of meat. So people had to find ways to preserve the meat, but also you'd be able to sell some of the, the other pro- uh, products at the same time. We've talked about some of the stuff that people would eat at home. What did people do, or children do particularly, for school dinners? Well, there was no such thing as meals in schools. Um, for the whole of the Victorian period, not until 1906. Wow. Okay. Um, so compulsory primary schools came in in 1870. So before yep. that, school was optional. But after 1870, you had to go to school. Um, and a lot of teachers noted that many of the children did arrive undernourished, 
um, underfed and therefore unable to concentrate properly on yeah. um, on their studies. So that it was a, it was a worry for the teachers as well. Um, sometimes, if you're lucky, you'd be sent in with a, a packed lunch of just be a piece of bread or yeah. um, something very simple like that. Nothing um, nothing very big. Um, but probably most schools were nearby where you lived, and uh, you go home for lunch, just like your dad used to come home from the mine for his lunch. Okay. Um, you could go home and have your main meal of the day in the middle of the day, because that was far more common than having yeah. it at, for, at tea time. So obviously people were worried about that. Some charities started up to try and provide school meals for children. And then in the 1890s, Britain went to war in South Africa, the Boer War. Yeah. And it was then that people noticed that so many um, young men were growing up not very tall or fit or yeah. physically able because of this, these problems with nutrition. And that really sparked a lot of worries for some people. So um, in 1906, the government introduced uh, the possibility of free school meals for uh, children from poor backgrounds, just, yeah. like, just like today. It was an optional thing, so councils didn't have to implement it, but mm. lots of them did. It was particularly important during World War One and during the Depression in the 1920s, yeah. um, and then became a compulsory thing for, that schools had to offer um, in World War Two and stayed in place after that. Okay, brilliant. I mean, it's this. The more I I learn about Black Country history, the more the more surprised I am that actually today, what the experts of today say is is actually a good thing to do. People in the past, in the Victorian times, uh, particularly, were actually doing it. So, like the thing that really struck me there with what you said, is that they would have their their large meal or their hot meal during the day. And actually, experts say, um, or some experts say, there's obviously some debate, but people say that you are better to eat a big breakfast, a big lunch, and then have a lighter meal for the evening because you don't need that energy anymore. Well, lots of other cultures around the world do it as well. Yeah. So in China, it's far more common for you to have your hot meal in the middle of the day. My problem would be I'd fall asleep afterwards. <laughs> yeah, I do have that problem as well, personally. <laughs> okay, excellent. So we'll draw a line under food then, and we'll go on to our, our next segment, which uh, is, um, well, it's one of my favourites, is where we have a think about black country health and safety in the past. Uh, so we have a look at some of the silly things that shouldn't have really happened um but for some re one reason or another they did and today we're having a think about factories um and the sorts of ha accidents that can happen there on the museum site we've got uh, a factory that we call the trap shop it's a building that used to manufacture animal and human traps uh, so not really very nice uh, they're nasty things that snap short on an, an animal's or a person's leg um and building these objects wasn't easy. There was a lot of metal work involved. And in the factory, the way that they made them, a lot of accidents happened. Uh, they used machines that were powered by motors. Uh, very often, uh, women who had especially long hair would sometimes get their hair stuck in the machine and it would really cause them major harm. Uh, other examples is machines that are used to actually punch holes in sheets of metal. Uh, these were operated by hand and were again primarily used by women as at the time it was deemed as an unskilled labour. Um, but what it meant was as you'd got a, basically a cylinder shape that was punching holes in metal, uh, as the women were working and moving their sheets of metal underneath this cylinder, as they pulled it down, sometimes their fingers could get caught in it. And not only did it mean that people would sometimes break their bones, but there are lots of stories of women actually losing their fingers to these contraptions as well. Today, obviously, this sort of thing wouldn't happen anywhere near as often as it did in the past. Uh, most machines these days, we have to have 
health and safety. We have to have finger guards. We have to have hair nets to keep hair tied out of the way. In the Victorian times, the factory owners, they didn't want to supply this equipment because they would have to pay for it. So we are now going to have a, a quick listen to our Adventures Through Time episode all about food. Have a listen. I hope you enjoy it and we'll see you afterwards. Adventures Through Time, keeping us fed. The Black Country Live Museum is a pretty cool place to find out about the places we've come from. And not just the places, it's great to find out about the people behind our history too. Mmm, look, there's a sweet shop, the window's full of jars of sweets, and yum, my favourite, rhubarb and custards. What's happened? It's become very green. Pretty cottages and people dig in their gardens. And is that a pigsty? Well, you can't live on sweets, whatever period you're from. <laughs> Let me welcome you to the 1880s. Folk need some wholesome food. Over there at the Tilted House live the Meredith family. That's John, the eldest son, and his sister Mary. Here! I'm standing on our tater patch. Sorry, I guess growing your own food is the easiest way to feed a family. And whoa, the house really is tilted, isn't it? That'll be the mines under the ground, making the earth unstable. Still, you'll find it cosy enough and far finer than some round here. John, are they right to boast? But it's true, father's worked hard to make it comfortable, even if he ain't quite straight. With rugs and chairs and even a piano. I'm learning to play. Well, when we're not at school or helping in the garden. Wow, you keep busy, don't you? And what's that amazing smell? Mother's pies and bacon. Oh, it's like a delicious stew. Queen Victoria herself would be happy to taste it. All Mother's rock cakes and Boston. Not all is for us, though. Them potatoes you're walking on, we sell them right here to others. It's quicker than going to the market. The growth of the railways in the late 1800s made it easier for fresh food and goods to be transported to and from the black country, and sometimes from every corner of the empire. Sugar from the Caribbean, tea from India, all for the taking and the right price, of course. But garden plots would continue to be important to folk to help them feed themselves or make a little money selling to others. Where are we now? This looks like Granny's High Street. There's a butcher's and a baker's and a general store. What's a general store? It's a bit of everything, isn't it? Like a supermarket. Just, well, kind of smaller. I'm sure Mr Gregory will be pleased to show you his wares. Good morning, my dears. What can I do for you this fine day? There's more of a choice than I would have imagined. Indeed. Eggs, butter... And you needn't buy the full pack if you're short of a bob or two. There are plenty of folk on a tight budget. I can also sell you matches, paraffin, twine. You've got loads of vegetables at the front of your shop and some very juicy-looking joints of meat hanging on those hooks. And most reared by myself and Mrs Gregory. Right here, bacon and chicken, beef suet, lard, pork scratchings, our own homemade faggots. And don't forget the mushy peas. I'm getting seriously hungry. And you, dear, you seem to have such strange and uncommon clothing. 
Perhaps you might like some smart cotton print to make a new frock in a modern style. We have needles and thread and packs of pins. You have everything and all your food is making me hungry. Working up an appetite, I have just the thing. Fish and chips, anyone? Yes, please. This looks more up to date, although the cars look pretty old. Where better than Hobbs and Sons fish and chips? You won't find finer in the black country. Certainly. Smells good. Hello, you two. What can I get you? I've got the freshest fish round here, delivered from Aberdeen by train this morning. The secret to its taste is in my saffron flour. Makes me chips a delicious crunchy yellow too. Oh, Two portions, if you please. These are delicious. Steaming up. Ah, we're back in the present. It looks like we brought the fish and chips with us. Newspaper and all. And look, Hobbs Fish Stop is still here. And still doing a roaring trade in fish and chips, given the queue outside. Black Country is famous for its food. Not just Joseph Hobbs fish and chips, but everyday fare such as bread puddings, lardy cakes, and of course, haze and bacon. Why don't you roll up your sleeves and try your hand at a spot of cooking? Rock cakes are easy to make and delicious. Don't forget to save one for me. Black Country Living Museum adventures through time with support from the Arts Fund. Okay, so that was our Adventures Through Time episode for for this month. Now we are going to go on to listener questions. Uh, We do have an email address, so if anyone does want to ask us any questions to be mentioned during the podcast, then they can email blackcountrykids at bclm.com. So we had this question from Holly, and she asks, In the Victorian times, what did people eat for pudding? Well, the, in the beginning of the 19th century, sugar was still very expensive. So you had to make a little go a long way. And uh, it wasn't so common to have a sweet pudding or sweet cakes. Um, but during the, at the middle of the century, it became um, a bit more affordable to have sugar. People started to have sugar in their tea, gave them a bit of energy, which helps them uh, their work. Yeah. And people were able to bake more cakes and uh, to have pudding sometimes after tea. But again, just like with the meat, this was very thrifty kind of puddings. So... If you had uh, some bit of stale bread left over from the day before that you would have made yourself, yeah. you could convert it into a bread pudding or a bread and butter pudding. I love bread and butter pudding. Or a summer pudding, which you're mixing it with some uh, things like bread currants and raspberries in the oh, summer. Okay. These are all very kind of popular traditional black country puddings. The other sorts of things are make sure that it's very unhealthy. Yeah. So make sure there's lots of fat in it. So things like lardy cake, um, which is another black country delicacy. Um, and then you mentioned right at the beginning about things like grape haze. So yeah. you would you would cook that up and put it in the oven and leave it to cook for ages. That was really great if you're a housewife because it would give you time to go and do all your other chores while you didn't have to fuss over your, of course. Um, yeah. your dinner. And it was just the same with pudding. So things like uh, rice pudding made with some apples in it or a, a suet pudding that you could leave in a, a basin to cook. Um, these were really, really popular as well. Yeah, because I know I, I sometimes have steamed pudding at home and now today that's done in the microwave. But that 
obviously wouldn't have been uh, something that happened in the Victorian yeah. times, and it could take a couple of hours to do it. And you know the best thing about uh, steamed suet pudding? That also comes from the inside of an animal. Nice. Suet is the stomach lining from around a cow's stomach. Lovely. And that's delicious. me off eating that cake anymore. Um, <laughs> excellent. So uh, uh, next and last question for uh, this week comes from John. And uh, he wants to know, when did people start eating chocolate? Well, chocolate was imported into this country right from the 1600s when it was brought from um, new places that people were discovering in yeah. the Americas. Um, and at first it was just a, taken as a bitter drink, a lot like coffee. Yeah. Um, and it was only a lot later that people realised if you put some sugar with it, it was actually a lot nicer. Um, but it was still a drink up until 1847 when Joseph Fry um, invented a way of compacting it um, and making it into a chocolate bar. So you can still so buy fries. Like chocolate. what we have today. Exactly. Yeah. So sugar became uh, more popular and more available. Mm -hmm. um, sweets became more available for the working classes as well. And uh, companies like Cadbury sprang up and Roundtrees. Yeah. Uh, interestingly, all of these were, the industrialists were Quakers because they didn't think of chocolate as, as a sin or anything like that, <laughs> whereas some religious people thought of it as, it might, it's so sweet, it must be sin. Yeah. Um, of course, you, can't, you that, that's too much of a good thing, isn't it, I suppose? <laughs> I suppose so, but uh, the Quakers weren't too bothered by it. And they yeah. set up these huge factories, like the famous Bourneville factory in Birmingham, which was uh, designed to be a really, really lovely place to work, as yeah. well as uh, providing for the, the nation's sweet tooth. By the end of the Victorian period, chocolate was a really, really popular uh, snack across society, and it only got more and more so during the 20th century. What would you say is your favourite chocolate bar? I would probably pick a Mars bar. Ooh, Oh, that's a good choice. I'm a, I'm a big fan of Galaxy, but it is also quite rich. And I think if there was only one type of chocolate bar, I would pretty much just go for the boring Cadbury's. Well, I say boring, it is very nice. The Cadbury's Dairy Milk, just because I can eat it at any time. Good, safe choice. <laughs> Thank you very much for coming on the podcast today with us, Simon. It's been brilliant having you on. And as you know, we will be having you on again to, to talk about another subject. As for our listeners, again, thank you everyone for listening. And if you want to find out more about the Black Country Museum, please do head over to our website at bclm.com. Thank you very much, everyone, and we'll see you next time. All right. Um, it's got some amazingly pink and white flowers. The leaves look quite kind of like um, kind of furry, you know what I mean? It's a warm spring day in late March. And ever since the leaves have started to come out, Roby Joe has been wondering why some trees lose their leaves and some don't. And also, like, how the trees know when it's time to shed their leaves. To find out, join us on the Conversations Curious Kids wherever you get your podcasts.